0: Why do we work hard to solve small problems? Why do we reinvent ourselves and our clients over and over? And why are we giving away marketing strategy for free? It's time to bring home bigger paychecks. It's time to create the lifestyle we deserve and to make a greater impact. This is the Fractional CMO Show and I'm Casey Stanton. Join me as we explore this growing industry and learn to solve bigger problems. Hey, it's Casey and welcome back to another episode. And today I want to talk to you about how do you actually create something that's innovative? If you're the CMO of a business or you serve as the CMO for multiple businesses, it's important that you innovate at some point. Okay? So let's talk about when you have to innovate and 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 how to innovate. So when you start working with a company, there's probably a bunch of garbage that you got to clean up. There's probably poor team communication and no tracking and maybe there's not a control. And there's all of these issues that stop the business from being successful in marketing. If I think back to businesses that I've stepped into, most often there's kind of two things that are happening. One is they have no marketing. And then the other one is that They have some people doing marketing stuff, but it's not really aligned and really focused. And the results that they're producing are generally not um, kind of tied to the amount of labor that they're putting in, right? They're just doing stuff. I can think of a manufacturing business that I worked with um, where they had a full-time, she called herself the chief marketing officer, which was completely overtitled. And all she did was develop brochures and sales collateral. And she actually did nothing to, to support the generation of marketing qualified leads or you know, get people in the door to talk to the sales team or to follow up after the sales people talk to someone and someone kind of gets cool and then over time that you wanna keep them warm through marketing automation. Like She did none of that stuff. She didn't even do events-based marketing. She really just did PowerPoints and brochures. I mean, it was, it was, it was kind of silly. So when you step into a business, you've gotta develop a marketing strategy as the chief marketing officer. So you're going to go in and develop the strategy. And at the beginning, like I said, there's a lot of stuff. I just kind of see this. Close your eyes and kind of visualize, unless you're driving, don't. Um, you kind of like look at a client, and in front of you, when you step in, is on the floor all of the different stuff that they've got, all the different tools, all the techniques, all the assets, all these things. And it's your job just to figure out the ones that are maybe bleeding money, and like identify those contracts or those team members or, or whatever and fire them or move them to a different role or transform them or reduce the cost or, you know, change the outcome or whatever the thing has to be with it. And then there's sometimes effort that people are putting into activities that should never be done in the first place. And you have to identify that and stop that from happening. Sometimes you look back at past campaigns that were a success and you're able to revitalize those. Like, your job is to kind of see all of that stuff. And along the way, you kind of don't really innovate at the beginning. Generally speaking, with most companies that you step into, you're not going to spend time innovating. You're going to spend time um, just like solving the problem that's in front of you with the tools that you already have. It's just like not a lot of innovation that's necessary. So, an example is, I can't tell you how many times I have, or one of the folks inside the CMOX accelerator, have like gotten into a company. Identified that someone is in the wrong seat and then they had to move that person from one seat to another from this role to that role. That's not innovation. That's just solving a problem. It's kind of a people problem. You know, someone's doing something that they shouldn't be doing because they're not competent or cause they don't like it or they're not producing a good result or it's a campaign that shouldn't be done in the first point uh, in the first place. So your job as a CMO is just to put the right people in the right seats, right? You kind of like align folks You get a command structure where there's people that report to people that report to people, right? Maybe everyone reports to you and then you report to the CEO. You've got to like develop that structure. That's the stuff that you get started with. That's the blocking and tackling. That is being a CMO 101. And there is no room for innovation typically within the first few weeks at least, but oftentimes not even through the first quarter. There just isn't room or necessity to innovate. And innovation for some of us is just like what we love doing. It's exciting. It's interesting. It gets us energized. It's kind of like having a cup of coffee in the morning on an empty stomach. It just is like, woo, right? It's like fun. You just want to innovate all the time with your clients, but you just don't need to. Okay. So you're going to like develop these strategies to use the tools and the people and the budget that's available. And you're going to get to kind of like this asymptote of of outcome from the labor that you have, you kind of reach the edge of it. I don't know if you know math, I don't really, but I like this term asymptote. It's this idea that a number increases up into, it's like maximum number, but never reaches it. Like it goes from zero to 10 to 50 to 90 to 99 to 99.999999, right, never reaches 100. It's that idea, you're gonna reach maximum output from the team with the current way that you're working with them. You're just like maxed out. If you want to get them to the next level, you can hire more team members or you can innovate a way for them to produce larger results with the same capacity that they have. So how do you innovate? I'm going to tell you how you don't innovate first. So the first way that you don't innovate is by copying others. You can't copy what another company is doing and expect to be the leader. It's just not just like not how it works. If I copy somebody else, I'm always going to be behind them. I'm always going to be behind because they'll have launched something, I'll see what it is, you know, I'll understand what it is, and then I'll be able to launch it myself and try to catch up, but I'll never be able to catch up if that company's doing their job and continuing to innovate. One website that I really love is archive.org. It's the internet archive. It's a great nonprofit to support financially. And it's this uh, service that takes snapshots of websites. And if you go to archive.org, you can look back at a website from three years ago, five years ago, 30 days ago, and see the changes that happened on a website over time. The Internet Archive is an incredible learning opportunity to see a company that likes to test what tests they've run. So you can like sleuth their website and see... Oh, look at this offer that they had, and they changed the pricing on this date. And then, oh, then they added this bonus, and they did this thing, and they bundled it, and then they got rid of that, and now they're launching this thing. And you can start to see their process. And this gets kind of into how to innovate. How do you innovate? It's not by copying what they've done, but trying to emulate how they think. Emulate how they think. How are they thinking? What are they holding true? What constraints have they created for themselves to be successful? When you emulate how another business or another person thinks, you oftentimes can get a great result that isn't from copying their actions. You can consider how someone would think maybe a great philosopher or a great business person who's passed away or someone who you aren't in contact with and you've read their auto or their biography or autobiography. And you could say, what would they do? How would they think through this? What was, what would be their approach to this problem? And then you can potentially solve the problem as if you were them. Now maybe there's a fun way to program a chat bot inside of chat GPT and query it and ask them these kind of questions. You know, maybe that's a thing. I don't know. I, I haven't tried that, but it sounds like a fun project. But the general idea here is that you want to not copy people's actions, not copy companies' actions, but if you're going to emulate anything, emulate how they think. So how do you consider how they think? Well, one way is to listen to them and understand how they think. What are they talking about? What's important to them? Are they on podcasts? Have they done a TED Talk? That's an interesting way to see how people think. Do they have blog posts out? What about on LinkedIn? Do they write on LinkedIn? Do they write on social media? You know, what's important to them? You can also see their pedigree, where they came from. I'll tell you that uh, having worked for different CEOs from different pedigrees, they're wildly different. I've worked with, for, for CEOs as their uh, fractional chief marketing officer um, in the private equity space. And the guys leading that were salesmen to their core that learned private equity in real estate. Incredibly smart guys, ton of respect for them. And at their heart and their core, they were salesmen. I also worked with someone else in um, a different private equity space, uh, who came from Wall Street and was a numbers guy, and was a CPA at one point. Now he's a CEO and he raised a bunch of capital and he's he's been very successful. His success is in the numbers. You know, he's always going to win on um, on the buy on his side versus the other private equity kind of salesperson pedigree. They know that. The solution to their problems, sure, it can be some financial stuff. It can be some mechanics. It can be you know property management. It can be all these things. But really, at the end of the day, if they're in a hold and they want to get out of it, they're going to sell their way out of it. The finance guy, he's going to you know number crunch his way out of it. They're just different ways to see problems and different ways to solve them. Give the salespeople um, very detailed P&Ls. And they're going to roll their eyes. And it's going to take them a lot of uh, effort to consume that information and know what to do with it. On the flip side, go over to the Wall Street guy and um, ask him to sell his way out of a potential problem. And he's, he's going to struggle. So if I want to mimic the way someone thinks, i got to think, too, of their pedigree. Where do they come from? What do they hold true as being really important? Are they a spiritual person? Are they a person who's interested in um, uh, the finance, the details, the numbers? Do they really like the sales side of stuff? Are they a product-focused person? You know, what is it? It's, It's just important to know those things. And from that, that can be the genesis for you to jump from to create ideas that consider how they think so that they can be innovative. Another way to be innovative, or maybe another layer of innovation, is to have a process to follow process is so critical for repeatable um, experience. I'll tell you. Uh, so my wife and I, we just bought a home, and it's a hundred-year-old home, one of these century homes. It's this beautiful brick home. Um, love it here. Uh, it's got a lot of age to it, a lot of kind of funkiness to it. Um, you know, we've got skeleton keys on all the doors, and like the like the little handles, which like, I don't know when people's hands were that small. Like they the handles on like our bathroom doors. is, I don't know, two inches. It's a very small handle. It's like a child's handle. Um, so that's like the, the style of home that we're in. We, we love it, um, living in boxes right now, but uh, slowly making it a home for our kids. And uh, I had a problem with our air conditioning. So we have a two zone system, meaning we have one zone that's the top two floors and the other zone that's the main level. Um, and the top two floors just stopped working, but the main level was going fine. Well, the top two floors had been recently replaced before we bought the house about a year ago. Um, so I thought maybe there was a, um, like a like a coolant issue, like there was a leak or something. So I had a tech uh, come out and they checked everything out and he put his meters up to it and, or his gauges, and he read that there was a leak. He identified where the leak was with this really cool tool. I was like learning all the stuff with from him. Very, very fascinating. Uh, but then, there was someone else there that came by, and that guy sold me on replacing my other unit. He said, yeah, that's an issue. We'll get that unit, the, you know, your leak fixed. But look at your other unit. It's 20 years old. And it was. It was 20 years old um, last month. So it was time for it to get replaced. And, uh, you know, I, I I knew that I needed to replace my AC. I, I didn't expect to do it that day. Um, but I said, okay, let's do it. So we did that thing that you do, which is kind of go through the price quote and kind of talk about it. And uh, I agreed and paid, and they scheduled service two days later. That team came in. They built out the AC unit. You know, They took out the old one in the basement, and they put a new one in. Um, But they didn't have a component, which was the plenum and the filter. This is where the air intake goes into, goes through the filter, then it enters into the coil and then the blower. This is a high-velocity HVAC system, uh, if you're familiar, because it's an old home. Okay. So enough with those details. They missed a part of it, but they patched it together and said, you know, in a couple of days, we'll have someone come out. I realized after that guy left that they had no appointment with me. No one was coming out. They had dropped me. No process. So I called dispatch 24 hours and I say, get someone over here ASAP and let's fix this. So they sent, uh, two techs over and they, they brought the plenum and, and the filter and they, they fixed it. Um, and then I went down to the basement myself uh, later that evening to kind of inspect their work after they had left, and I realized how terrible of a job they did. Uh, it was uh, comical how bad of a job it was. We're talking about a sway to the, um, to the return. It should be a vertical pipe, and it was like this big S-curve. Uh, already the insulation on it was sagging. Um, they didn't tape any joints. The filter didn't have a cover on it um they only put rubber feet on one side not the back side of it i mean just like mistake after mistake there's even holes in the high velocity line i mean it was ridiculous and this is from a reputable company um yeah i mean it was it was it was shocking so i reached out to the company and you know i i got on the phone with someone and they they said to me we have a process and it's clear that process wasn't followed and there was no debate for me on that right I don't know that they have a process, but there was certainly no process followed. And what's interesting is as big of a company as they are like a major company in the area, they don't have a process to catch the holes. They don't have a process to catch these kind of outlier circumstances where they do an install and they forget a part and they patch it up for the day. And, you know, by all measures, I'm kind of good to go unless you look and you realize that it's missing a filter and a plenum. So they, um, they have a process, but they don't have a process that considers all of the possible errors that can happen. So they have a best case scenario process that probably serves them for what, 80% of their installs, 90%, 95%. And I just happen to be the unlucky guy who also had some unprofessional people do the install and miss some stuff and tape with black, <laughs> black duct tape instead of um, silver uh, HVAC tape. So that's a process that's a process. If I want to predict their success, it's their ability to follow a process. I love Entrepreneur Operating System. They've made this very easy and binary. EOS is a wonderful system. I love it. They say, if something didn't happen, first ask, was there a process? And if there was a process, did the person follow it? So, it's very binary. Was there a process? Yes or no. With this HVAC? Yes. Did the person follow it? I'm not sure, but I think the answer is no. The answer might be yes, they followed it, but there was an edge case that I qualified for that wasn't as part of the process, and then I fell through the crack. Maybe. But I believe they didn't follow the process. They, they certainly did kind of a hack job and didn't follow the process. That process allows them to produce a predictable result. In the same way, if you have a process for coming up with ways to innovate inside of a business, you can be successful. Let's think about how you take this HVAC approach to innovation inside of a business. A process is, first of, first of all, about identifying the problem that you're solving. So often when we innovate, it's because we feel... Um, enchanted by our muse and we want to just come up with this idea cuz it feels energetically exciting and we want to see it deployed. It's like, oh man, I just I talked to my buddy and he was saying this crazy thing about Facebook Messenger ads right now driving cheap leads. We got to do it. We got to do it right now. Probably isn't the right move, right? Unless there's a problem with lead generation or cost of leads. Um, and what you have right now in your control just isn't working or something like that. And you need to kind of blow it out and, and reinvent. So first identify the problem that you're solving. And when you identify that problem, I like to think of a measurable or a metric. Like, how do you know if you're successful or not? An example of how to know if you're successful, is you say, we're currently getting leads at $10 a piece. And this quarter, we want to drive that cost down to $9 or $8 or $7 a piece. So we want a 30% reduction in cost and the same volume. So this quarter, we're just dropping cost, but keeping volume the same. I'm going to drop it by 30%, $10 to seven. That's what your target is. And then how do you innovate on that? Well, you say, okay, here's the problem. I'm going to put it on a pedestal. And I'm going to walk around it and look at it from all different angles. How do I take a $10 lead and get it for seven bucks? You think, where's the waste happening right now? Where are there steps that confuse someone, that reduce the conversion rate? Is the offer clear enough? Does the page load fast enough? You start innovating there and you say, oh, a Facebook instant experience page. Maybe that's what I need. I need a page that loads faster. You may be listening and saying, Casey, what's a Facebook instant experience page? Doesn't matter. What matters is that you identify that the problem is the page speed might be too slow. Because it loads slow, you're losing a bunch of people before the page fully loads. Therefore, if you drop the speed, excuse me, increase the speed or drop the time to load by 50%, you anticipate having a higher throughput and therefore leads costing you less. Innovation. That's innovation. You innovate going from a, let's say, WordPress page to a Facebook instant experience page. That's a small innovation for the business, but compound that with a better headline, with a better offer, with a better follow-up, with an SMS reminder. And the next thing you know, your offer that was converting at $10 a lead is now converting at $7 a lead and pre-qualifying the leads to go from the non-qualified state to a marketing qualified state. It's these little intersections that when focused on can improve cost and performance and quality so that ultimately you're creating significant innovation in a business. I kind of like that Kaizen approach, that constant and never-ending improvement approach to funnels and offers and things like that. On the flip side, it's also fun to say, "Ooh, we're paying $10 a lead right now. I want to pay seven. How do I get it for seven? Just thinking about that, putting it on a pedestal, you might invent a new idea. Ooh, what if we emailed everybody and said, if you send us a qualified lead, we'll give you seven bucks. You email affiliates or other companies that can help you or um, someone else in the market or a partner, like whatever it is, uh, it, it, you know, it's, it's custom for each um, business. But you could maybe just create a, a, a whole new like affiliate strategy to get those $7 leads in. So the idea of innovation here is to... First, if you want to copy, copy how people think or how businesses think and not what they've produced. How do you do that? Maybe you're looking at autobiographies, TED Talks. Maybe you're looking at um, archive.org and seeing how the website changes. And then on the opposite side, if you want to innovate something, identify the biggest problem to solve, right? Solve bigger problems. Identify what that is. Walk around that. Look for different ways to solve it and look at the Kaizen approach, minor improvements And then a more macro approach, which is um, kind of reinventing what you're doing, changing how you're doing it, bringing in AI or bringing in, um, you know, offshore talent, MTurk, whatever the thing is. And what I think you'll find is that you'll be able to innovate consistently without needing the inspiration from your competitors. And instead you can then pivot into being the industry leader you know, your client can become the industry leader instead of being reliant on being Pepsi, right? You don't want to be Pepsi, you want to be Coke. Coke is the leader. Let's talk about Pepsi. Um, Pepsi, has, uh, Pepsi wanted to get into fast food restaurants and they wanted to get into um, like KFC, right? They weren't able to sell Pepsi into KFC. So what did Pepsi do? My understanding is that they just bought it. They bought KFC, they bought Pizza Hut, they bought Taco Bell and another thing called the Habit Burger Grill, okay? And they put that underneath a brand called Yum Brands. But Pepsi owns it. Pepsi said, right, the traditional way, ooh, we want to get inside of this KFC. We want to get inside of Pizza Hut. We want to get in McDonald's. We want to get in Burger King. They wanted to get everywhere. Obviously, that's like how, if if anyone approached um, getting a soft drink into Uh, a business or a franchise, they would say, we're going to go in the front door and we just like, we're going to underbid what Coke's doing and we're going to just try to go in and and just win that business. They innovated and they said, actually, we're just going to go buy those companies. We're going to go buy KFC and Pizza Hut and Taco Bell and Long John Silver's. Yeah. Uh, And put them underneath their own company, and all of those companies are going to have Pepsi. Pretty incredible, right? It's just like a different game to play. They just bought them. Now, you know that KFC, Taco Bell, Pizza Hut, those are revenue-producing enterprises. So they bought revenue, and they also ensured that their parent company, PepsiCo, was able to have Pepsi and all those. pretty incredible. You'll remember this anytime you drive through a town or... You know, go to a a gas station and it's one of those combination Pizza Hut and Taco Bells or KFC Taco Bells. Uh, You'll remember that that's because Pepsi bought it and they had this innovative idea to buy kind of the means of distribution, which were the restaurants. Pretty incredible. So sit with that. Hold on to that. Consider that as you think about innovating. And if you want to have more of these conversations with me, with my team, so that we can help you win clients that pay you $3,000 or $5,000 or ten, dollars or $15,000 a month or more per client per month, so you can build a fractional CMO practice to a half million dollars a year and work 30 hours a week serving clients that you love on your terms, uh, we'd love to help you. I wrote a book on this. It's called The Fractional CMO Method. You can grab it on my website, cmox.co slash CMOX.co slash book. And if you like what you're hearing, subscribe to the podcast. It means a lot to me. Leave a review on iTunes, Spotify, Google Play, wherever you listen. I'd love to hear what you think about this. Any ideas for episodes, you can email me as well, grow at cmox.co. All right. Hope you're well. Talk to you soon. Thank you for joining us for today's show. For more information and episodes, visit our site at fractionalcmoshow.com. Go ahead and punch that like and subscribe button on your favorite podcast app. It means a lot, at least to my mom.